Hi guys, uh, it's great to be speaking to you today. Um, so I'm carrying on in our Revolution Has Begun series and um, we're just going to be opening the book of Ephesians again. I'm going to be back in Ephesians 1. So if you have your Bibles, it will be really useful to have Ephesians 1 open. Um, I'm going to be pretty much going through that whole chapter, just going over some of the passages Phil looked at uh, last week and um, some of the ones he didn't cover as well. Uh, it's quite a lot of text, so it's going to be really useful to have the Bible open. But to start with, uh, I want to just tell a bit of a story. Um, so, so, so when I was a mechanic a couple of years ago, um, I was an, when I was an apprentice, probably like 10 years ago now, um, a friend of mine told me a story, a guy I worked with. Uh, he was from New Zealand, and he, he told me a story about a friend of his back in New Zealand. I don't know if this story is true, um, I was a gullible 17-year-old, but it's a good story, so I'll tell it. Um, so my, my friend's friend, this guy in New Zealand, sorry, I think I, I don't know if I said Australia or New Zealand, this guy in New Zealand, um, he, uh, he really liked motorbikes. He's really into riding his bikes, loved motorbikes, and uh, just always dreamed of having a Harley-Davidson. This is a Harley-Davidson, if you know what they are. Um, it's a just really nice bike. He wanted a really old classic one. He just always fancied that. It was his dream. And he'd saved up some money, and he managed to buy one. Um, he got it quite a good deal. It was one that had been in uh, a garage for a long time. It was still a lot of money, $12,000 he'd managed to buy it for. So it was a good chunk he'd saved up for, and it was a, a bike he'd really wanted. And he uh, cleaned it up, he'd done a bit of work, and it gave it a good service, kind of got it ready. And in that process, realised he needed to get a few new parts for it. He needed some new bits to kind of fix it up. So rather than get some cheaper parts, he thought, I'll get proper Harley-Davidson parts for it, get some real stuff. So he rung up the Harley-Davidson dealership in uh, New Zealand and just said to them, uh, here's, I've got this bike, here's the chassis number, the kind of unique number that uh, belongs to only that bike, and kind of said, so they can find the bike in his system. He says, here's the parts I need, can you get them for me? They found his bike and said, yep, we can get these parts for you, they'll be here in a couple of days, you can come pick them up. So in a couple of days' time, he's decided to take the bike with him, he's rode down to Harley-Davidson uh, to go and pick up his parts. And... Um, he walked up to the parts department and uh, said to the guy, hey, I'm here to collect my bits for my bike. Um, and uh, so the parts guy says to him, oh, great, okay, just uh, wait here a moment. I'm just going to go out the back and get them. And so he goes, and then this very smartly dressed guy comes back out, um, looking kind of not like a parts man, basically, a guy that's very executive looking, very professional, comes out and shakes his hand. And he's, he, he says, hello, I'm the chief executive of Harley-Davidson New Zealand. And he's like, wow, what's, uh, uh, nice to meet you. you. You normally do parts and stuff like that. And the guy's saying to him, um, your bike, your, the chassis number of your bike flagged up on our system. It's one we've been looking for. It's a really rare Harley-Davidson. I want to buy it off you. Um, he said, oh, well, I've, I've driven it here. I've, I happen to have it on me. He goes, you've even ridden it here. He goes, look, I'll buy it off you for $300,000 today. So what? Three hundred thousand. I bought this thing for twelve thousand. What? Like, are you mad? Like, it's not worth that. There's no way it's worth that. He says, "No, it is. It's this really rare bike. We've been looking for this bike, and it's flagged up, and we want to give you three hundred thousand if you let us take it away today." And he said, "No, you must be mistaken. Why is this bike so rare?" And he goes, "You really don't know what you've been riding, do you?" And he says, "If you've got the bike, you've got the bike with you. Then let's go and have a look at it." And he takes him out. He shows him the bike. He goes, "Here it is." He goes. Flip the seat up. Have a look under the seat. And they flip the seat up and they look underneath. And there's this plaque kind of engraved into the, into, uh, underneath the seat of the, of the bike. 
And it says on it, to Elvis Presley from your friend, Buddy Holly. And he's like, what? And this guy says, yeah, this is a really rare bike. This bike got sold in some auction by mistake and it's kind of gone missing. No one's known what it is. It's obviously been forgotten about and whoever's owned it after that hasn't realised what it is. And my friend's friend has bought it not realising what it is. He hasn't realised what he's been riding on. He's thinking this is his dream bike, a nice bike, but he hasn't realised his bike's worth millions. Needless to say, he didn't sell it for 300,000. He put it in a garage and kept it somewhere safe until he could sell it for a lot more than that. Now, I don't know if that story's true or not, but it's a pretty amazing story. And the reason I tell it is this guy didn't know what he had. He didn't know the value of what he was riding. Do you know, it was worth something to him, but he didn't know that if he'd just gone a bit deeper, he would have realised it's immense value and exactly what it's worth. And I think as Christians, we can have this, this same issue with the Word of God, Do you know, with the promises of God. We... You know, accept something of God, we decide to follow Jesus, we read our Bible sometimes maybe, and we, we hear from different preachers, but we don't quite realize the true value that are in these words. We don't realize the treasure and the riches that are, that are within these words that God gives us. And it's, it's so easy for us to miss what's right in front of us. Do you know, I heard, uh, I was watching a film the other week and I heard this, uh, there's like this kind of conversation between a Middle Eastern guy and American. And the Middle Eastern guy was challenging the American. He was saying to him, you see, you guys in the West, you, uh, you have, you feel you have no need for heaven. You're so comfortable and you're so wealthy and life's good that you can't imagine heaven being good. You can't imagine it being any better than what you've got. See, where we live, this is what this guy is saying to him. Where we live, we have nothing. So heaven is everything to us. It's all the value and the only thing we live for. And I, I experienced this when I went to Kenya um, with a charity called Compassion and visited some children in the slums there. Um, see, they were extreme poverty, poverty like I'd never seen. And coming from, uh, I live in the West, I live in London, a very kind of wealthy city. Coming from that context to seeing this context, like, wow, this is poverty like I've never seen. But yet when I went to church with these children, they worshipped in a way I've never seen. They were praising God for the promises of his word. They were crying out about how rich they were to know God, to how wealthy they were, the fact that they were saved, that they, that they, they knew they were going to be in heaven with God for all eternity. They had all of the promises that Jesus says, I will um, bring justice to those who have abused you. You will never be with... You'll never need anything when you're with me. They, they know that there will be no suffering, no need, no poverty when they're with Jesus. And man, did they celebrate him and worship him and praise him. It was amazing. And it was interesting coming back um, to the UK and just not seeing something similar going on. It was just, just seemed to be, I don't know, a very different way that we viewed the promises of the Bible. Because it wasn't just a cultural thing, I don't think. Because I... Uh, I know a lot of passionate British people. You know, I've been to enough football games and enough kind of sports stuff and enough gigs to know we can be passionate about what we're passionate about, social media, anything else that we're kind of excited about. Um, I just kind of figured maybe they knew something of the promises of God in a way we didn't. So we're going to be looking at this passage then today in Ephesians. Um, and it's, it's quite a long passage, and there's a lot in here I want to pull apart. I'm going to go through it step by step and help us look at some of the promises of God so that we can then really reflect 
on whether heaven really is of more or whether just knowing Jesus holding the promises of God it really has more value to us than the stuff maybe we, we, we hold alongside God. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So let's stop at this bit. There's already quite a lot in here in these first couple of verses. So just um, the first bit I want to pull out of this, um, is this is this passage about being adopted uh, into adoption to the sonship through Jesus Christ, that we've been adopted into sonship. I just want to pack up what I, uh, pull apart what that means a little bit, because um, this isn't like a kind of gender-specific term. It's not one of these terms where we need to add also daughtership. Anything. In this term, Paul is saying, Everyone, the body of Christ, people who are part of the church, you have been adopted into sonship. So let's work out what he means by that and why it's good news for all of us. So the kind of Greek terminology Paul would have been using here was a legal terminology for adoption. And in Roman culture, um, which is the culture that Paul was kind of speaking into, that, that he was a part of, um, adoption wasn't seen as like any kind of a negative thing. Um, it's, it's not a negative thing in our culture. It's great that people adopt, um, and, and we need more people, um, particularly in the churches, adopting young people. But adoption can have connotations where initially it's come from rejection. Um, so maybe someone's been rejected first before they're adopted. You see, not necessarily in the culture Paul's speaking into. Actually, adoption is a great honour particularly if you're adopted as an heir, which is what we are told later in this passage that we are. We're adopted into sonship as heirs, into the inheritance that comes from Jesus Christ. So it means God has chosen to adopt you rather than you just kind of being born naturally into his family. Actually, no, God has chosen to adopt you into his family. You see, in the time Paul writes this letter, there's been five Roman emperors. And four of them, including the current one, became emperor because the previous emperor decided to adopt them as the heir. So it's actually quite a big term. It could be that this is, you know, the person who's adopted might already have a family. They might have somewhere they come from. But say the emperor or a powerful person has looked at them and said, you know what, there is something in you. I want to invest in you more than that. I want to adopt you as my son. It's a great honor. And I'm going to give you the full inheritance that comes to my power. I'm going to make you king, which I have the authority to do. And the emperors would have done that over their own children even. So when the Bible tells us, when Paul is telling us that God has chosen to adopt us to sonship through Jesus Christ, this is massive. We have been chosen to be adopted into the family of God, being given the full inheritance. It's worth noting that, of what that means, to be adopted, to have adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And there's another terminology he uses here, uh, predestination. And uh, Paul kind of talks, he doesn't mess about when he talks about predestination. He mentions it a few times in some of his letters. He talks election as well, similar um, kind of thing. He, he seems clear that God knew who he was going to save before he created the world. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So he'd already chosen us before he's even created anything. You and me, if we have our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would be the ones he's going to make blameless in his sight. The ones that Jesus is going to die for. He predestined us for this adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now sometimes uh, this can like be great or some people see this as negative. Some people see this as a bad thing that it can be offended by. Well, I was reading Phil's, kind of, uh, Phil's commentary on Ephesians and just Phil Maud looking at his reading his commentary straight to the heart. Um, on this passage, and, and Phil kind of helps unpack this a little bit, that if we look at salvation, we kind of have three scenarios of, of how salvation is going to come about. Um, either God chooses who he's going to save, or the devil chooses who is saved, or we do. Well, the devil doesn't have enough power to choose who gets saved and who doesn't save. So you can kind of cross him off the list. He just doesn't have authority over those things. So it's either us or God. And if it's us then we personally bear the burden of having to choose God daily. We carry the burden of our salvation and it's kind of up to us and it depends how our day's going, which means there's no guarantee over your salvation. That's, that's, that's not good news, to be honest with you, because I'm aware of how much I fall short of all God's calling me to. Whereas if it's God who has chosen to reveal himself to us and therefore carries the burden for us. It means even on our up and our down days and our kind of inconsistencies that we still have been adopted as heirs. We don't leave, we don't lose our inheritance in Christ if God is the one who's predestined us rather than us having something to do with our salvation. Does that make sense? <laughs> There's no way you can... I can fully pull it apart in this time, but I hope that kind of gives you a glimpse into what it means for God to have chosen you before he even put the stars into place. Let's read on. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us to the one in the one he loves. In him we have redemption for his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with his riches and of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's just reflecting on our salvation, um, on, the, on, our, on what Jesus done on the cross that's been given to us. And that we're forgiven and we have God's grace lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. You know, this is great. Like he, he, with all his wisdom and understanding, he's chosen to make known to us the mysteries of things that have happened, the mysteries of the cross, stuff that people are still confused about today and choose not to follow. Part of our predestination is that God has chosen to reveal to you the mysteries of his will to be put into effect when the times reach the fulfillment to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose, with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed There's still something on us. He reveals it to us. 
but, there are, but it's up to us to believe you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. How do you know that you have received the inheritance of God? Well, God has given you a deposit, a down payment before the kingdom of God fully comes to earth. He has sealed you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? If you are full of the Holy Spirit, which happens when we, when we, when we decide to follow Jesus, then man, you have, you have a seal of a, guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. I'll unpack that a little bit in the later passages. A lot has already been unpacked in this kind of first bit. Um, Paul doesn't even take a break up to verse 14. We put um, our kind of uh, translations have grammar put into it so that we can breathe and kind of reflect what's putting in. This is one long sentence Paul writes in the Greek. He's just offloading these amazing promises of God. And he then goes on. We're now going to read in verse 15 onwards. Paul kind of helps us now work out Okay, so we've had some big stuff in this first bit. We've looked at predestination. We've looked at adoption into sonship. Some big, and it's easy to take these as kind of just, um, I don't know, like a theology class. Something we're trying to wrap our head around. Something we're just trying to learn. We're trying to, what are you even talking about here, Dan? And just trying to grasp with. Um, Paul takes us now into the next bit to go, but you need to do more than just try and know this stuff or try and understand it. I want this stuff to go from your head to your heart. Paul's like, no, you need to embrace this stuff. There is good treasure in here. And so his next couple of verses that finish off this chapter, he starts teaching us how do we now engage with passages like this and with Scripture and really pull apart the Word of God for our sake. Well, verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, for all the reasons I've just given you, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's first bit is he teaches us to praise God. You know, he is so thankful for the people that not only have been predestined, that God has chosen to save, but that they have faith in everything they've heard and they know. And he is thankful. He goes straight to God in praise for it. He teaches us, man, the first thing we need to do when we see these good treasures, when we see these good things that happen, is praise God. Because that changes it from just a mental academic exercise. You know, it's very rare in a lecture you hear people jumping up and down and going, praise God. But you might hear that in a sermon. And there's good reason for that. Because yes, my job is to teach. My job is to kind of try and pull apart scripture. But man, sometimes you've got to hear this stuff and want to praise God, haven't you? Like these are promises that I'm not just saying here's something far away and understanding. I'm saying God has revealed this to you. This is for you. This is near for you to grab on. When someone shouts amen, we should all join in. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's not just to encourage the preacher. It's good to encourage one another. No, it's to give praise to God for what you've just heard. We give thanksgiving to God. That's why we come together to worship, isn't it? 
Like if we go home with these messages and we truly are throughout the week pouring more into Scripture and learning more who God is, we're encouraging each other in our life groups, we should be coming back on Sunday so ready to worship, to praise God, to spur each other on in worship, not because it's just a nice thing to do on Sunday, but because we have so much to give praise and thanks to God for. We're turning this from just something we know or we've heard to something we believe and is saving us and is changing us and is, is working in our heart. Do you know, we, we shouldn't just have the one person that shouts out amen in our church. It should be a chorus when we're hearing good truths. We should be unafraid to express that, just as the same as we do in many other places of society or culture, where we're quite happy to express our praise or our thanks. We should be more than happy to do it in church, because these are amazing, amazing promises, if we truly grab them for the treasure that they are. Let's not be silent in churches. Let's praise God. And when you're reading your Bible at home and you get to that bit, you're like, wow, stop and praise God. Keep giving him praise. Because that turns him away from a distant deity you're trying to understand or grasp to your father who's adopted you into being his heir that he loves and he's making known to you the things of his business, the things of his will. Amen? Goes on. I keep asking that God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's worth noting, one of the things I didn't mention in the, uh, about the first passage is Paul nonstop keeps going back that all these things are in Christ. In those first 14 verses, he says it about 10 times, Phil told us last week. Um, he just keeps going back that all these things are in Christ. Christ is in you, and therefore you are in Christ, and that is where your inheritance comes from. It's amazing. He just keeps pointing back to Christ, that it is Christ's inheritance. It is, it is Christ's sonship that we are adopted into. It is Christ's life and death that we have been given. Um, yeah, Christ's resurrection that we have been given. And, our, and we have been kind of renewed and restored. And it's worth knowing and noting that Paul keeps push pointing to every promise that it is in Christ that we have them. And so here, I will keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So when you're opening your Bible, and this is crucial that we are reading the promises of God. I don't know how you find it. It might be you're someone that loves reading it and finds it quite easy reading the Bible. For me, it's been a real challenge. I've shared before, I'm dyslexic. I just don't enjoy reading. I find it hard. I, I, I don't find it easy. And I'm watching, when I was a new Christian, I'm watching other people grow in their faith way quicker than me. I'm thinking, how do I be more like their guys? What are they doing that I'm not? And I always thought, I don't need the Bible. I can just get enough from the preacher at the front. But I could realize I was lacking. I didn't know God in the same way others did. I wanted to read more of Scripture. And I tried. I kept opening my Bible. I kept trying to read it. I kept trying to engage with it. And, uh, and I, just, I just couldn't understand what it really was it was saying here, and I just got to a point where I said, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, will you help me read this? I want to know you more, God. Will you help me? And man, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he did. 
Totally changed the way I read the Bible. Still different to how I read any other book. The pages came to life for me. Genuinely, the words came to real life. I, I just, I understand what I'm reading. I get real joy from this. It started speaking to my soul. I got challenged by the Bible. I was being convicted about different areas of my life where I weren't living for Jesus. And I was going, man, I need to repent of that and lay that down. The Bible commands me to. And then I'm seeing... Um, other parts of it where it's then telling me about, but you're also forgiven and you have grace and looking at all these wonderful other promises. And man, I'm falling in love with God more and more and more as I pour into the word, as I go deeper than what I've heard on a Sunday. And I'm coming back then the next Sunday, so ready for worship. I don't need a song to kind of get me into it. I've been reading my Bible. I'm fired up. I've got loads to praise God for. Um, and I, you know, use the words of the great songs that we'll sing together. Pray before you read this thing. Honestly, this is the word of God and God will not leave you on your own to read it. He will help you with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, sorry, wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He just wants to give you more of his Holy Spirit so you can understand this. But more than that, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, the riches of his inglorious inheritance to his holy people. See, God doesn't just want you to read this and, and just become a student of it. It's something for you to just be able to pull apart and cleverly talk from. No, he wants you to fall in love with his words. And his spirit will not just help you understand um, the kind of head knowledge of it and be able to read these kind of passages. He wants to open the eyes of your heart. He wants to kind of open your, um, I don't know, connect with your soul, if you will. He really wants to connect with you to know these words deeply. Because he's desiring this relationship with you. So often I get asked, a, big, a common question I get asked when I'm talking about Christianity is, well, how do you know that this is the word of God? How do you know? And, and by new Christians as well, it's a, a something I always get asked. And I've got theological answers for that. But if you want my genuine, if you're just asking my off-the-bat answer, how do you, Dan Featherstone, know that this is the word of God? Because God brought it to life for me. Through the Holy Spirit, these words come to life. I know they're God's words because God speaks to me through them. In a way, he does through no other book, even other books about this. They're great, and I love them, and I study them. We should read other books. But there is something so special and powerful about these words. The treasure that's in them and the understanding the Holy Spirit will give you of them. Man, we've got to read this, and we've got to prioritize it. And if you find it hard, don't let that be your excuse. Ask others to help you and pray before you open your Bible each time. And there's incomparably great power for us who believe. The power that is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is evoked invoked not only in this present age but also in the one to come and it's worth noting there that the power of the holy spirit god promises to seal us with is the same power that raised jesus from the dead it's the same power that raised jesus from the dead it's the same power and authority that jesus walked with by getting the inheritance that once that only belonged to jesus but given to us 
It means we are sealed with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's no small thing to realize that we have the inheritance, full inheritance of God, meaning we are full of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's massive. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul just ends it, just strengthening the importance of the church, that it is the body of Christ, that it is his people, and that we are to come together and we are to worship together. Do you know, we love God, ideally, but the most amazing thing is that God loves us. It's amazing and mind-blowing. He loves you as his adopted son, his heir. He deeply loves you. We as the church are loved by God. He really does love you. And you're loved because God loves his son. And you are in Christ, so have Christ's inheritance. How do you know that, that we as a church um, kind of know that? How do you know that we have started to understand these promises and live by that? Well, because we live like Jesus. Do you know, it's not a separate thing. It's not just something God calls us into and then we remain where we were. No, then we're just riding around on the bike that we haven't looked underneath. If nothing changes, we, we maybe are claiming to follow God, but we haven't understood the promises or the greatness of the treasure. Because I tell you, when you really understand who Jesus is, you don't try and pull other things together. If God challenges you on your relationship, if you realize the relationship that you are in, it isn't together leading towards God, you realize it's not helpful and it's not fruitful. And I tell you, if you end up choosing that relationship over God, well, then that's your idol. That's become God in your life. No, when we understand the treasure of God, as hard as it is, there's nothing we won't lay down. Even families, we can prioritize our families over God, our careers. We can prioritize our careers over God. You know, your job is saying you now need to work Sundays. You can't be at life groups and, and there's kind of many other um, things, but it's, but it's going the right direction. You could make lots of money from that career, man. Is that getting in the way of you following God? Have you made that a greater treasure in your life than these wonderful promises? You know, even saying we haven't got time to read our Bibles. We always have time. We just have to choose what we spend our time on. So my iPhone now is added a wonderful uh, bit that tells me my screen time. I can see exactly what I spend chunks of my day on and what apps I spend it on. And I can see where I have time because Instagram is not involved in my work <laughs> much. Um, and it's good. There's nothing wrong with scrolling down. There's nothing wrong in all these things. But if I realize the time I've spent on that is far more than the time I've spent in the Bible. And I've said today I didn't have enough time to read my Bible. I'm lying and my iPhone's called me out on it. <laughs> It's helpful to challenge ourselves in these things to make sure we are prioritizing God. Because when we are a people that live like Jesus, you know, we're drunk on the Holy Spirit, not on wine. Do you know, our excuse for not coming on a Sunday is not hung over. No, we're full of the Spirit ready to come. That's what we're drunk on. It changes what we're like on our Friday nights out with friends. We choose to obey and worship God rather than do what we want. He becomes first in our life because we understand what we have in Him. 
Do you know, we stop striving for the things we could have in this world and realize what he's given us is far greater and what he will give us is even greater than that. Do not let the enemy rob you of your treasure. He wants you to keep riding around, barely scratching underneath the surface, not realizing the value of what you're sitting on. Like that Harley Davidson, if he'd never lifted the lid, if he'd never lifted the seat, he would have never thought that bike was worth more than 12000 like everyone before him. Once he lifted the seat and looked beneath, he realized how much value there was in that bike. We need to go deep into this word so that we can see the treasure that God has given us. Paul gives us so many ways to do that. And I'm just going to pray now for us. And then we'll, we'll, we'll close there. But Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit of wisdom and revelation will give us greater knowledge of you, Lord. I pray as we seek you throughout this week, that you will just, you will just help us see you, Lord. That you will open the eyes of our heart. Lord Jesus, and you'll speak deeply to us, Lord. You'll let us know what it means to adopt, be adopted into your sonship, Lord Jesus. You'll let us know what it means to have been chosen before you even created the world. Lord, before you even created the universe, Lord Jesus. You'll let us know what it means to really be your adopted children, Lord. And Jesus, will you, will you lead us to a place where we just constantly want to rejoice you, Lord Jesus, that we really know the riches we have, that there's nothing we wouldn't lay down for you, Lord God, that we wouldn't continue being deceived in the same way we have been before, Lord Jesus, but we'll live in the light of this gospel that's been revealed to us, these mysteries that have been made um, kind of visible to us, Lord, that will just lead us to rejoicing all the days of our lives, whatever our situation I just pray that you go on doing that in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.